is the Almost Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Okay. Hello, everybody. It's just me today. I am flying solo without my partner in crime, Bill. He's traveling this week, and so we will wish him well. Um, by way of correction, which I am not above doing this when occasion calls for it, a couple weeks ago we did a podcast on how to have different uh, difficult conversations, and we got some fair pushback that I wanted to address. Um, and once in a while, Bill and I will kind of go through the comments, and some of it is like super supportive and we love hearing it. And some of it just seems kind of like nonsense. And then some of it is like fair pushback that like, oh yeah, we could have done that better. And so we just want to, I just want to be a part of doing that piece also. And so during that episode, we talked about how to have difficult conversations, how to lead with your vulnerability and take your ego out of it and how to lead with your humanity. And we got a couple people who um, kind of wrote back saying, hey, that is actually not how you're supposed to have a conversation with someone if they're a sociopath or they're a narcissist or they are psychologically incapable of opening up themselves in that way. And so we didn't in our discussion like give that caveat. Now, I don't think that every, you know, selfish assholery kind of person is a narcissist. I think sometimes that term is overused. But I do want to say in response to that fair criticism that it is never any person's job to coach a person out of those kind of deeply um, wounded psychological states from what we understand about um, sociopathy, um, psychopathy is that, you know, early childhood reparenting, hypnosis, therapy is our best hope. And so if you're in a kind of relationship with a parent or a coworker or a spouse, you are not required to be their vulnerability coach in a way that's not safe for you. Not everyone is safe for your story. So the overall message was simply that if you want to get better at communicating with people who hold different views, taking ego out of this situation and showing up with some humanity at least extends the invitation to allow them to meet you with their humanity. But it's definitely a fair critique that we did not offer that caveat that um, you do not have to do that with a person who is really psychologically unable to do that with you. And so boundaries may be the you know, most appropriate way to have a relationship with that person. So love it. Fair criticism. Thank you, everyone. And today we will be discussing because it's just me. And I really love digging into stories that, you know, reveal something about what it means to be human or some part of you. Um, We're going to be doing story time with Brit. And today we will be discussing a character from Greek mythology. And what is endlessly fascinating about Greek mythology is that what they did is they split up the human psyche and gave a name to each part. So rather than like a god and a devil, which kind of splits up like your best self and your shadow self, 
Greek mythology splits up into 12 main gods and then about 3,000 gods in total. So lots of gods, lots of combinations of gods, right? So it's every part of the human psyche, every mix of the human psyche that you can imagine, all projected onto this mythology. And you can learn a ton about yourself from a study of Greek mythology. For me personally, someone who is open to the idea of God, but I'm very skeptical, I think about all religion in this way. Now, we all recognize nowadays that there's no God on Mount Olympus, but children still learn the stories in fifth grade or whatever, or the symbolism or the archetype, the archetype psychology is still there that you can learn from. And so for me, I will do that with all of the gods, all 5,000 of them that are currently available for worship. And as for how many have been worshipped, it depends. Hinduism sometimes is counted for having millions of gods, but only a, you know, a big handful are actually worshipped. Do you count all of the avatars and rebirths of Lord Shiva? What about cult leaders? Do you count you know, ancestor worship as gods? Uh, it depends on you know how you count that number, but you, the usual estimates are around eight to twelve thousand big main gods who have been worshipped by humans, and who knows how many thousands or millions of gods we've come up with as humans. And we will never know that number for sure because belief in God long precedes our ability to write and precedes recorded history. But there's something to be learned and something interesting and something I learn about myself by the study of each one. And so I don't have to believe that there's a Zeus on Mount Olympus to learn from this from this story. Just like um, Ricky Gervais says, he says that you are a an atheist to 4,999 gods. I'm only an atheist to one more god than you, which is like, you know, a cute little Ricky Gervais way of saying that um, there's a lot of gods on offer here, and we can still learn about a lot of them, even if um, you're not super threatened by, you know, Zeus getting angry with you today. So today we're going to dive into an archetype that is really still going strong. You'll be able to see it in a lot of places, which is the symbol of the wounded healer. And so for this story, we're going to turn to Chiron and it's spelled C-H-I-R-O-N. It's pronounced Chiron, who's a centaur. And so he's the son of a titan, uh, Cronus and a sea nymph. It's a long story about why he was looking, he was looking for Zeus at the time, got totally transfixed by this sea nymph. Um, it's a really long story. But unlike other centaurs who are violent and unenlightened, Chiron was famous for his wisdom and his knowledge, especially of medicine. And so Homer calls Chiron the wisest and most just of all centaurs. If you're a Harry Potter nerd like me, Berenz is um, who he's patterned after, just kind of this wise, really in touch with the stars centaur. So the story goes that Cronus, um, Chiron's father, was looking for Zeus he was trying to eat him. It's a long story for another day. And he came across a sea nymph that he lusted after. But to hide from his wife, Rhea, he took the form of a stallion and essentially raped the sea nymph who gave birth to a son who was half man and half horse. And so she was just overcome with shame and abandoned Chiron, which is Chiron's first wound, the wound of abandonment. So Chiron is abandoned by his mother 
and was found and reared by the god Apollo. So it's kind of a similar story to Maui and Moana, where he was abandoned by his mother, but a god took pity on him. So Apollo taught him art and music and prophecy, and Apollo's twin sister Artemis taught him archery and hunting, and Chiron was good at everything. He excelled in every field. He invented pharmacy and medicine and, and surgery, and usually centaurs, centaurs just kind of had unbridled lust and violence, but Chiron was cultured and restrained, and he became highly sought after as a tutor. So he tutored Jason of Jason and the Argonauts and Perseus and Theseus and Achilles and all these people. But in battle, uh, Chiron was hit by an arrow with a poison tip, and he could not heal it. And the pain was unbearable because he was the immortal summon of a god, so he couldn't die. So he suffered, but he couldn't die. He goes into a cave and he retreats from the world for a time. And when he returns, his agony is so extreme, he just wants to die, essentially. And so he comes across Prometheus, and Prometheus is a trickster god who defies Zeus by giving man fire. And so Zeus is mad about this. And he punishes Prometheus by, you might have seen sculptures or portraits of this, of a visiting eagle who eats his organs every day. And that's Prometheus's punishment. So Chiron sees this pain in Prometheus and offers to replace him. So he gave his immortality to Prometheus, offered to take his place without his immortality so that he could die. And he figures it's better that one person should live pain-free and one die instead of two people suffering. So Zeus sees the kindness in Chiron and the wisdom in this act and heals his wound and immortalizes him again. And in the end of the story, both Chiron and Prometheus are freed. So Chiron is twice wounded, once by rejection from his parents and being a product of rape, and once by this wound in his life. And he became attracted to the healing arts really in order to heal himself, but he couldn't heal his own wounds by himself. He did spend some time in a cave mourning the life that he had lost, but when he emerged, he was looking for a way for his wound to have meaning, that if I have to live with this pain, if I have to live with this suffering, I want to make some sense of it. And so he finds within that pain, and this is why he's called the wounded healer, and this is why he's an archetype that lasts to today. Um, he finds in his pain a source of motivation and inspiration that leads him to greater compassion and greater meaning. It invited this sense of duty and purpose to enrich his life in ways that the other centaurs couldn't even imagine. And so it reminds me of this poem from Rumi, uh, 13th century uh, Sufi poet, mystic. Uh, and he says in this poem, your doctor must have a broken leg to doctor. Your defects are the ways that glory gets manifested. Whoever sees clearly what's diseased in himself begins to gallop on the way. Don't turn your head. Keep looking at the bandaged place. That's where the light enters you. So when we look at people today who change the world, it was always in order to help heal, heal their own brokenness or give meaning to their suffering. When you look at anyone, you know, in the major stories that you would read to children, you know, Nelson Mandela and Malala, Gandhi, Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, um, Susan B. Anthony, these are all people who turned their suffering into meaning and purpose. 
ended up changing the world in whatever the way that they did, but also healed themselves in the process. It was the wound that in the end gave them the meaning and purpose into something that was bigger than them that they could put their life energy towards. It's the place where they found their meaning. And so this more often happens in small ways. And I'll use kind of the Mormon community as a case study here for a moment, but it, it applies to anyone in any community. So there are those like Peggy Fletcher Stack, who now works for the Tribune, who, you know, felt like there wasn't enough discussion and dialogue and scholarship in Mormon culture and theology. And so she got together with others who felt that way and who were feeling frustrated or were feeling like um, alone in their congregation. So they created Sunstone and, you know, Natasha Helfer Parker experienced such painful, you know, sexual shame and all this, you know, messed up messaging around relationships. She becomes basically Mormonism sex therapist, right? Lindsay Hansen Park um, experienced this deep wound reading about polygamy by herself as a Mormon woman. So she creates the Year of Polygamy podcast, which is our best re you know, resource about Mormon polygamy from back then to today. And she became a voice for polygamist Mormon marginalized groups. But it didn't start there, right? It started with the wound. Jeremy Runnels in the CES letter, these were questions that he wrote down and he, inst and he started an entire Mormon conversation um, from the bottom all the way up to the top because he was wrestling with these questions. He was wounded by these questions. John Dillon being excommunicated, Mormon women who become therapists, Mormons who become experts in cult and cults and cult research, um, Mama Dragons, this powerhouse of moms of gay kids fighting for their rights. But it all started with a wound of crying, a woman crying in her room thinking, how can I make the world better and safer for my child? Uh, Noah Rochetta doing secular, uh, secular Buddhism podcast, you know, the most successful Buddhist themed podcast, but he was wounded from his faith crisis and he wanted a way to find, he wanted to be able to find a way to do spirituality without the truth claims that so hurt him when he went through a faith crisis. Sam Young doing protect LDS children because he was a bishop and he knew the stories of, um, what was happening to children behind closed doors and abuse was going on. Mormons creating new communities and sometimes getting excommunicated because of the pains of losing your friends and family. So there's this entire club of post-Mormon work that both Bill and I are in our small way a part of, but it's a pretty big expansive body of work of people who are trying to help people. And it's all there because of wounds because of tears, because of pain. And each of these people were wounded in the place where they now serve. So it's a kind of alchemy, a, a transformation of pain into meaning. People who go through faith crisis help others. People who want to understand their own brains become psychiatrists. People who felt understood when they were alone, listening to music, create music. People who were abandoned in the system become foster parents. It's not something that we can heal alone. It's in finding others and tending to each other's wounds that we end up healing ourselves like Chiron. And so even though Chiron invented some forms of medicine, he could not heal himself. He could not heal his wounds. And so eventually in life, and a lot of the people here who are listening, um, got wounded in a way where you can't make the pain go away. You lose a child or a faith 
or an identity or a community or a parent. And life is really never the same. But if you allow that to that pain to transform, it will open up a whole new way of living and a whole different way that you connect with humanity. And so it also reminds me of the story of the Wizard of Oz, a wonderfully symbol-driven story that deserves its own, you know, deserves its own episode at another time. But it's like we all get tossed in a tornado at some point in life, find ourselves lost, find ourselves missing safety or comfort that we used to have that we lost. And we lost people too. And along the way, we find other people who are also wounded and our pain recognizes their pain. So Carl Jung called this the left handshake. It's not the handshake or sorry, left-handed, left handshake. Yeah. Left handshake. And it's not the right handshake of your ego to ego. Hi, nice to meet you. It's the handshake of my wound recognizes your wound. My pain recognizes your pain. And you probably all have a thing like that. For me, when I meet a mother who did multiple rounds of IVF, I feel an instant connection. Or someone who can no longer play sports after a knee injury. Someone who was in a mixed faith marriage or had a faith crisis. Or someone who has spent time in nihilism with the chaos of uncertainty. These are all wounds that instantly connect to the wounds of other people. And it's also the wounds that transformed into meaning for me. So I taught seminary because my 16-year-old self, who was so hurting, needed to be healed. And I do a podcast because they were so helpful for me um, at various points of my journey when you find that podcast voice that speaks to where you are right now. Or I meet with clients um, because I remember my dark nights of the soul and how an understanding and kind person is really more valuable than gold. Um, I wrote a book on Mormon philosophy for my 18-year-old self that just wanted to know what Mormonism was. Even things for my children. My mom and I were not very close growing up. She has an avoidant attachment style, which we've talked about, I've talked about on the podcast before. And I remember in eighth grade, all my friends saying that their moms were their best friend. And I remember sitting in class in tears, feeling so isolated because I had no idea what they were talking about, or that some girls feel you know, feel that way about their moms. So to this day with my little toddler kids, I say to my kids, we're best friends. Now I'm still a parent. I'm not going to, you know, I have no interest in being one of those parents that just, you know, um, lets them do whatever they want. But each time I say it, it's a little hug to myself and hug to the child that I hope I can do things differently because that moment hurt when I realized that other kids had close, intimate relationships with their mother that I didn't. Um, anyways, back to the story. We all end up in the tornado. We all get wounded and lost. We all lose at some point in our lives. And we hurt others sometimes on purpose, sometimes mistake. And the nature of life is just change and death. We're all going to end up here at some point. And we start a path a, a yellow brick road to find ourselves again. And along the way, we meet up with others who are also wounded. And then this is the important thing. We have a choice in The Wizard of Oz. You can go to the field of poppies and go to sleep, which is kind of what the witch is like trying to get you to do. Um, or you can take a journey, right? And so the witch is the one that says, come over here and just go to, go to sleep. And that's tempting. And we've probably all done this or, you know, still do this. 
go go to sleep turn on netflix get drunk these pains hurt just go to sleep right um or wake up something transformational and so dorothy meets others who are also wounded they all have kind of a typical hero's journey archetype and in the end the wizard of oz ends up being a kind of facade the healing that came is when you release the facade the wall comes down um, you release the illusion that there's a magic pill and you realize that in fact the journey itself was the healing and you can click your heels and come home to yourself right that's kind of the symbolism there and so our immediate experience is that our wound obstructs our wholeness but it, in truth it's the very expression of it because it introduces us to the part of ourselves that is whole and well and free and so the wound becomes its own medicine essentially and so if you want I, I meet with clients this is on my mind this week because I meet with clients who are really looking in their life for meaning and purpose especially when you're experiencing something called a come down from eternalism where maybe the story that you were raised on is that you were special and the universe was made just for you and everything that you do matters for eternity and you are so great right um and so when you're coming down from that it can feel like wow the universe doesn't really seem to care and that can be really painful and i met with clients this week where that was really painful and so if you want to look and shift into how your life can have meaning and purpose bigger than just you, which is essential for any kind of human happiness. The first place to look is where you've been hurt. And it's going to be the place that is going to transform your life if you allow it to. And if you don't um, succumb to the temptation to go to sleep. And so this is how Rumi ended his poem. It's so great. Ready? Your doctor must have, must have a broken leg to doctor. Your defects are the ways that glory gets manifested. Whoever sees clearly what's diseased in himself begins to gallop on the way. Don't turn your head. Keep looking at the bandaged place. That's where light enters you. And don't believe for a moment that you're just healing yourself. That's from like a thousand years ago. Beautiful. So if you are hurting, um, and I just met with people this week who were hurting. And so I'm just, I'm feeling, I, I feel that with them, right? Because I enter into that, into that pain place with them. I just encourage you to take a message from Chiron or Dorothy or all the symbols about the wounded healer or all the people who made the world a better place. This symbol is everywhere because it's just, um, it's just kind of our choice as humans because we're all going to be wounded. We are all wounded. It's one of my, if I were to choose kind of a favorite hymn, I love the hymn, A Poor Wearfaring Man of Grief, um, because it's, I, I too had a wound concealed. And that's, that's a truth that remains true for me, that when I meet people, they have a wound concealed. Uh, Brene Brown says it this way, um, every person has a story that will break your heart. And I've never met anyone where that wasn't true. And so 
this message that's in so many movies and um, the one that comes to mind is Groundhog Day where he's just stuck in his nihilism and cynicism until he begins to try to make the world a better place. And then the story was, you know, is able to move forward again. Your transformation and your compassion and your meaning and your work in the world and your um, life that you're going to create intentionally has a lot to do with where you were hurt. And it may always hurt a little bit. You saw in our last episode that talking about the first part of Brian McLaren's book where it talks about what it feels like when you're doubting your reality, it brought both Bill and I to tears. Um, Even though that wound um, was years ago, right? And even though we can both say, wow, I've, I've healed a lot of that. I've processed a lot of that. I'm happy now to have gone through it but the wound is still part of you, right? And Bill and I can still get into places where we can tap into that pain and it's still it's still there, right? Um, and so some of these wounds, they will always be with us, but it can transform in us something that we never could have become or done or seen or experienced if we had never been wounded. And so if you were waiting for a push from the universe, you guys know me, I'm not very woo- I don't know anything about that, but just as one person, (laughs) I can say that this whole world is full of humans who have been hurt and who try to do something good with that pain. And in the end, that journey is the thing that heals yourself. And nobody does it perfectly, but why not you? You may think, and I've, I, I get this imposter syndrome thing too, you may think that there's enough people talking about faith crisis or God or adoption or marriage or motherhood, and you may talk yourself out of it. But whatever voice you have and whatever pains you carry that you keep to yourself not only hurts the world by you not voicing it, but it hurts you too because we can only heal that wound together. We can't heal those wounds on our own. And we can only heal when we are vulnerable and honest with each other and begin to tend to each other's wounds. So again, I go back to that poem. Don't turn your head. Keep looking at the bandaged place. That's where the light enters you. And don't believe for a moment that you're just healing yourself. So I'm going to end this with telling you what happened to Chiron to give you some inspiration. Do you know what happened to Chiron? So Zeus always wanted, let's let's just say he was in a he was in a good mood. So we're going to say that this is a good thing. Zeus always wanted this message to be available to humans and their suffering. And so when he healed Chiron and released him from his pain, he set Chiron into the stars as a constellation so that Chiron could always watch over the affairs of men. And so it is in our wounds, in our work and relationships and faith that we find our woundedness. That is where we find the meaning that lasts, the meaning that lasts even after we die, just like Chiron. So get out there. Um, whatever wound that you're carrying, whatever you're afraid to show people, um, that is the place that the world, that is the voice, that is the message the world needs to hear. And in that process, um, you'll find your wound a little bit more healed too. 
So that's it from me, short one, and we will see you next week for another episode of Almost Awaken Podcast. And next week we have a super uh, exciting guest who's going to be telling us about a book series called Conscious Stories that is very famous. You may have seen it on social media. That's teaching um, really good spirituality messages to children through this book series that you read at night with your kids, essentially. But he's got a really amazing story. And again, it's going to be another story of someone's pain and someone's journey and someone's heartache turning into something beautiful. And I can't wait to dive into to his story and um, and why he created this really popular book series that's going on going uh, online right now called Conscious Stories. So that'll be for next week. And thank you all and have a great week. Bye. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.